I see some 25-year-olds leaving. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> but I want to ask you these questions. I found out about them, and you may or may not know. Um, how long is it that a person can go without eating before they expire? Anybody know the answer to that question? How long can you go without eating before you uh, can no longer survive? Huh? Pardon? A month, maybe? Well, Google says 30 to 40 days, depending on the person. Sometimes a little longer uh, if you're more, well, prepared for the, ta the challenge. <laughs> How long can you go without drinking water before you uh, can no longer live? Four days. Google agrees. Three or four days. Again, sometimes, some people a little longer. But, like, that's almost shocking, right? You don't drink water for, for three to four days, literally, you'll die. Um, you know, what this illustrates is the reality of some needs that we have in our lives, physical needs that are very real. And if our physical needs are not met, we will not survive. Think about shelter in this Canadian winter we're about to face once again. If you didn't have that warm house, if you didn't have that furnace working properly, even if you didn't have warm clothing, you wouldn't survive. There are physical needs. Now, we all get physical needs. It's understandable. Some of the detail that I've just give, given to you might be a little bit new, but we understand the reality of physical needs in order to survive. But when it comes to what I'm describing to you in this series as core needs, we think a little differently, um, if we think about them at all, actually. But, uh, you know, core needs can be left unmet. And by the way, if you're new to this, love, uh, belonging, security, significance, and purpose. Those are the core needs that we're looking at that every human being has, you included, uh, myself as well. But, you know, we can literally live without those core needs being satisfied. Our survival does not depend on them like physical needs. But here's the deal. The suggestion that I have brought to you in this series, while we might survive, we will not survive well. Our lives will be diminished if we don't know love and uh, belonging and security and significance and purpose. And too often, unfortunately, people who know and love Jesus, they know and love him without bringing the truth of Scripture and applying it to the deepest needs of their lives. And very often they don't live the life the way Jesus hopes they might. So again, we're going to look at another core longing, and you know what that is. We're going to take a look at the core longing of security. Coming to that place in life where we feel security. Now, essentially, what that means um, is that we, if we are secure, we'll feel safe in life. And if we don't have that sense of security in our experience, we will know a lot of fear. So I'm going to start off this topic today by simply asking you those two questions. Where do you sit with that? Do you feel safe in life generally? Or do you live with a fear in your life that's somehow negative, debilitating, somehow taking away <clears throat> from us the life that God intended us to live? You see, a lot of people in this culture pursue security in ways that uh, don't make sense. I referenced this a little bit earlier in the series. A lot of people will look for wealth, money in the bank. And if money's in the bank, I am secure, I'm safe. Sometimes people look for security in a relationship. Man, if I could just get, find that man or that woman to marry, I would be in this solid marriage relationship and I will be safe. Well, what the point is uh, from a biblical perspective is, you know, we have these core needs that are given to us by God. They are good. They are right. They're meant to be satisfied in God and God alone. But one author says we, those core needs get twisted away from God and they're placed on other things, other people. 
and we seek to have these core needs, these deep needs that are in our lives satisfied in something other than God. What Jesus says, as you know in Matthew, is you can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't make you secure because it can disappear in an instant. You can have a relationship that you think is secure and forever, and sometimes those relationships don't last, either through death or divorce. And what are you left with? And in the end of the day, what the Lord says is, come to me, be in relationship with me, and I will give you the security that you need so that you know that life is safe, so that you don't live your life in fear. But the reality is that a lot of people do live their lives not secure. They do live their lives with a significant degree of fear because they literally don't believe life is safe. They don't believe that people are safe. They don't believe that the world is safe. Sometimes they don't believe that God is safe, and as a result, they live with a lot of fear. Is that you? Where, where do you land on that, that scale of safety versus fear? You know, as in all of these instances, I'm describing to you that much of what we believe about in reference to these core needs we learn in childhood. That's where beliefs are formed that determine what we literally believe in each one of these areas. Very early in life, we decide whether the world is safe or not. What did you decide when you were really young? If I learn that life is not safe, my life will be characterized by fear. Can I put it differently? We'll be people who worry a lot. Any worry warts here? That's what worry is, isn't it? Oh, I'm afraid that this might happen. Anybody live their lives with anxiety, which is just a greater expression of worry? Quite anxious about what will be. You know, we learn this in lots and lots of ways as children. I have learned, I have read that a child... If a child doesn't feel safe in his or her mother's arms because the mom is fearful herself, that that child will learn, make an early decision in life that I am not safe. It's almost like they learn fear from mom by osmosis. You understand that? Does that make sense to you? Um, sometimes words are spoken in childhood uh, which communicate the reality or, uh, and even the need for fear. I know somebody who grew up, and the phrase that was often spoken is, it's a cruel world out there. Well, what happens when that child does go out into that world, even as an adult, still believing that to be true? Because often these beliefs are not challenged. They just are. And they go into a world which they have come to believe is cruel because they have been told so. Well, if you're going into a world which is cruel, there are people who are cruel, and there are people who will harm you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a dangerous environment that is not safe. And people feel fear. Sometimes, and I've mentioned this before, uh, it's, it's the anger of a parent in a very young child's life. Um, because children who are really young, are weak and vulnerable. And they interpret the anger, even of a parent who loves them, as a threat to their well-being. They interpret it as danger. And then, you know, the reality of abuse, physical or sexual abuse. You know, the really insidious thing about abuse in children, the really evil thing about abuse in children is it takes away a child's belief that life is safe. And they come to believe that it's not because of what they've experienced. 
I've been told there are two primary, primary questions in a child's life that need to be answered for that child to grow up well. Question number one is, who am I? Question number two is, am I safe? My friends, if the answer to question number two is that I'm not safe, then fear gets wired in to a human being's soul. It becomes part of who they are. It becomes the lens, if you would, the grid through which they see life, and it becomes a driving force in their experience and a very detrimental reality in their lives. Now, we can learn as adults as well that life is dangerous and that life isn't safe. Some of you may have. Abuse is the best example of that. We can experience hurtful experiences. We can experience those traumatic moments in life. I think of that group of people who was attacked this week as they drove home in Mexico by a drug cartel. I think six people killed, children included. Think of the people, children included, who survived it. Will they believe that life is safe from this point forward? Or will they believe that it is a dangerous, threatening reality and that they need to be afraid to survive? So you see, people end up <laughs> very often, to some degree or another, and that, that has relevance for each of these core values in our lives represented here, where they believe they have reason to be afraid, reason to fear. Sometimes it's fear of people. Um, I have to admit, this, is one, this has been one of my issues most of my life. I don't know if you know that, but now you do. Um, and God has brought a lot of healing, and he's addressed my core beliefs pretty profoundly in lots of ways, but it's still here. But you know what? For a long time, I honestly, I would meet somebody, and I would be afraid of what they thought of me. I did not assume that when they met me that they accepted me as I was. As a matter of fact, I assumed they did not. And I would need to prove to them that I was acceptable. And once I recognized that I had done that job, then I could, if you would, relax and not be afraid of them and of their thoughts toward me. That's not a fun way to live. So sometimes we actually fear the opinions of people, their judgment, their lack of acceptance. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, we fear our abilities in circumstances that might be demanding. When I was at university, uh, I, I studied at the arts, and I had a lot of papers to write, and I was a fantastic procrastinator. Can anybody relate to that? I was really good at it, and for a long time, I had no idea why. Um, but I came to realize that behind procrastination, one of the powerful drives that pushes someone toward that is fear. And here's the deal. I had a paper to write. It was a demanding paper in my mind. I wanted to do very well, but at some level in my mind, I was afraid that I couldn't do it very well. So you know what I did? Rather than digging in and doing the work and spending the hours, and <laughs> I left it alone. Because I don't want to look toward <laughs> what's scary. Who does? And I'd be forced into that situation late in the night before, uh, writing like mad to get this thing done with greater or lesser effectiveness. You know, that, that sometimes, you know, we just face these challenges and we're afraid and we think we can't, we can't do it, we can't handle it. I'm not up to it. Sometimes when really difficult circumstances do come into our lives, and it happens, right? We live in this world. 
And, and, and we experience the challenges of life. And when we experience the really hard moments in life where we, where, where we have to find our way through them, people with fear in their lives particularly feel overwhelmed, feel that, you know, I can't do this. It's bigger than I am. And that can be immobilizing. It's certainly a pretty awful experience. Sometimes people fear the future when they have no reason to fear at all. You know, I, I work with lots of folks, and I don't know what your experience is when you get some bad health news. There are some people that are, uh, think, well, I'll deal with that if the doctor confirms it someday. And there are people who jump to the worst conclusion, and they're terrified that what the doctor says might be reality is reality, and they live in fear. I could go on, but there, there are people, they just see life through the lens of fear. And I want to tell you, it diminishes their lives. These people don't live that adventurous life that the Lord wants them to. These people back away from taking risks that can bring goodness into their experience. Um, these people very often easily withdraw, don't encounter life the way that they could. I want to take you to a passage today when the followers of Jesus were in a circumstances where they were really encountering one of those difficult realities of life. It comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following. And in the midst of this story, the disciples are really afraid. And I think we can learn a lot from them. Let's read it. Mark 4, 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was, note the word, completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I'll tell you, my friends, that, that was one of those moments this, this storm blew up. It was a very difficult, hard place for these disciples to be. This storm was very typical of what happened on the Sea of Galilee just because of the contour of the land and the winds that came. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, these huge storms would arrive and the waves would be furious and, and, and challenging and threatening. And even though some of these disciples were seasoned fishermen, when the boat began to fill, and they couldn't bail fast enough, essentially, um, they realized they were in a really dangerous situation. They believed their lives to be threatened. Um, Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat. This is odd to us. How can you be in such a furious storm and be asleep at the back of the boat? Well, he was exhausted from ministry. And they woke him up and they asked, Don't you care for if we drown? Like, don't you care? And I want to tell you, that was a question that was spoken out of fear. You can hear it in their voices, in the words. But it was also a question about Jesus' love for them. Don't you care about us? Don't you care that we might die? 
You know, we have storms in life, right? Some of you may be in a storm right now, and if not, then you can probably remember a time when you felt your life was threatened and fear just encroached upon you. Those things happen. And very often at the root, we believe our life is threatened. We are threatened. We are in danger. And we can ask similar questions out of fear. God, don't you care about me? Ever done it? God, where are you? If you loved me, you'd show up and solve my problem. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let this thing happen. Well, as this story goes on with these disciples, Jesus gets up having been awakened, and it says he rebuked the wind. You know, most often in the New Testament, when Jesus, in this, in this book especially, when Jesus used the word rebuke, nearly always, not entirely, but nearly always, he's speaking against the reality of evil or what evil is trying to accomplish. Isn't that interesting? It kind of tells you what's going on in this circumstance. Evil is at work, and it's seeking to destroy. And these disciples, people of faith, are acting in fear, terrified. Happens to us. It will happen to us. But Jesus rebukes the wind, and it says the sea calms completely. And then he asks two really powerful questions, especially for people for whom fear is wired into their souls. Number one, it is this. Why are you so afraid? I want to tell you that is a profound question for people who deal with fear all the time. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried all the time? Why are you anxious about what will be? Why, is, why are you fearful in so many instances, fearing people, fearing the world, fearing circumstances that might come? And the second question is this. Do you still have no faith? You know what's really interesting about that question is he doesn't say, why do you have such little faith? He says, why do you have no faith? None. See, here he's asking them, what do you really believe is going on right now? What do you believe is true in your heart of hearts? What do you believe is true? What's going on? And I think the answer is, is pretty clear. They didn't believe Jesus cared, number one. Um, they also didn't believe, and I think it's pretty evident because of their panicked state that Jesus could keep them safe or that he desired to do so. You see, what bothered Jesus was not that they woke him up, but that they lacked faith in that instance. They could have just tapped Jesus on the shoulder, <clears throat> told them that they were in a bit of trouble, and asked him to save them. And I want to tell you, he would have saved them because he loved them, and he had the power to do it. My goodness, if he saved them because in the reality of no faith being present at all, he certainly would have saved them if they had had faith, wouldn't he? Let me put it this way to you. These disciples were afraid because they thought they were in danger. They really believed they were in danger, and they were afraid. 
But I want to tell you this, my friends. They were not in danger because Jesus was in the boat. Do you get that? They weren't in danger because Jesus was right there. Jesus was present. Jesus was powerful, obviously. Jesus had the desire in his heart to act to meet their need because he loved them. They weren't in danger because the one who could save them was right there. The one who would save them was right there. But they didn't know it. Didn't believe it for an instant. I want to tell you, my friends, for those of us, and I include myself in us, who live with fear in life, fear of people, fear of circumstances, fear of our own abilities to achieve, fear of our future. While we often think we're in danger, the biblical truth is that we are not because Jesus is with us. And he has the power and he has the desire to save. And literally, we have no reason to be afraid. Psalm 23. The Lord is whose shepherd? My shepherd. His eye is on me. He cares. He's present to me. He loves me. And it's the Lord who is my shepherd. It says, I lack nothing. <laughs> There's nothing in life that I don't have. Jump down to verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The guidance, the protection of God is in our lives. What do you believe? Do you believe that you're on your own, that you're not loved? By the way, note the progression in this. We began by talking about the core need of love. Do you believe it? Then we began to talk about the core need of, then we talked about the core need of belonging, that we're not isolated, that we're not alone. God both loves us profoundly and meets that deep need and God is with us so that we are never alone. I want to tell you, if we get that right, unlike these disciples, we will be at peace in the midst of the storm, perceived or otherwise, because of God's presence. A God who loves us, a God who is powerful and able, a God who has de a desire to save us, those are the things that we have to believe. And we need not be afraid because God is in our boat. I want to look at verse 41. And I want to look, look at the most powerful question in my mind in the text. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? It's in the boat with them. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. <laughs> that man was God. God was in their boat. A God who loved them, a God who cared for them, a God who was able to save, and a God who had a deep desire to do so. My friends, that is the truth that needs to displace the lie that we hold so often in our hearts. We're on our own. God doesn't care. Maybe we don't think he's able to deal with this one. And if that truth displaces the lie, and we really believe with all of our hearts, we will not fear. We won't worry. We won't be anxious. Because we know we are loved, and we know we're not alone. Parents. 
how do we bring up children uh, to keep them to the extent that we can from fear? Well, very simply, we need to seek intentionally to create a childhood for them without fear. It's really pretty simple. How do you do that? Number one, deal with your own fear first so that children don't learn fear by osmosis. Um, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, I think this is a hard thing to do, not for God, but <laughs> to, to bring that to reality, this, have this faith that I'm describing to you today. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're someone who struggles with fear, if your core need has not been satisfied in God, turn to Him and deepen in your knowledge of Him. Grow in your faith. Discover who He is. Discover who this man is. In any way that you need to, pursue it until you know who He is. At the depth of your being, the love, the power, and the desire to help, whether it's our healing care ministry that we have here, whether it's going to a good Christian counselor, whether it's digging into scripture with your small group and studying fear, whether it's just talking to a close friend, process this. Listen, the most important thing you can do for your children, whether it be in this regard or otherwise, is to deepen in your faith. Seek God with all of your heart and come to know who this man is. How do you create that environment? Number two. To, to the extent that you are able, do not act in anger toward your children, especially when they're really young. Especially when they're really young. And again, that's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Um, but when we act in anger toward them when they're not little, all they see is threat and danger and their lives are at risk in their minds. And we can grow beyond that unhealthy expression of anger. We can. Because the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, etc., etc., right down to the very last one where it is self-control. We can be enabled by God to be transformed, to be changed to the point where we don't get angry like that anymore. That's a possibility to pursue, and I would encourage it where necessary. Number three is protect your children from harm. Protect them from harm. Um, again, when they're very little. You know, I hear, I hear some people maybe thinking, oh, they got to learn to stand up for themselves. they got to, you know, be strong. And oh, like, There'll come a time when that's true, but when they're really little, no, protect them. What does God do for you? <laughs> he protects us. The, the, the psalmist has written, he's a shield which surrounds us. No, where you have opportunity, you step in and you protect your children. They'll learn courage in time and how to protect themselves when they're older. And then this, teach them. And I'm going to give you a few things to think about now as you intentionally and purposefully teach your children some things. Teach your children that God created this world and it's good. Let them know that, yeah, difficult times are going to come, but that the Lord Jesus will be there for them to enable them through. Teach them that this world and that people are not to be feared for the most part. And then I would encourage you to do two things with them. When they have a problem, when they, when they 
face that obstacle, whether it was with friends or with siblings or, or at school, whatever the circumstance might be, sit down with them and teach them about who Jesus is. Teach them who this man is, that he loves them <laughs> deeply and he cares for them deeply and he will act on their behalf. Teach them that they are not alone in this challenge, but that Jesus is present to them. And give Jesus the problem with them in prayer. And then when Jesus meets their need, tell them about it. Because they'll probably not notice. Encounter the reality of Jesus with them so that they discover that he is present, discover that he is powerful, discover that he loves them. So that faith comes to life in them as they see Jesus work on their behalf. And how about this one in a similar regard? When you face a problem and you're tempted to fear, and this needs to be age-appropriate, of course, but when you're facing that problem and you feel like you're in the boat and you want to start bailing, rather than go to Jesus, go to him, but take your children with you. And say, this is where I'm at and this is my struggle and I need Jesus to show up for me and I'm going to ask him with you right now to come in and to meet my need. And when he does... Tell them so that they can experience the presence and the love and the power and the reality of the saving Jesus. Bring them into this reality. Help them to experience the reality, the truth of who God is. And they will grow up in that environment knowing they're not alone and knowing that they're loved and knowing that Jesus will show up when they need him to. I want to conclude with reflecting again on verses 37 and 38 because I think they're really important. A furious squall came up and the winds broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I thought about that reality a little bit this week. He was sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> but there it is for us to see. Jesus was in that dangerous situation, wasn't he? Just as much as the disciples. But he fully trusted his father to take care of him. And he felt no fear. Isn't that cool? He felt no fear. He was as calm as the sea in the end. And I want to tell you, my friends, because of the truth of God and the work of God's Spirit, as we pursue that truth until it seeps into the core of our being, we can live like that. And he said, peace be still. Peace be still to the wind and to the waves. You know what I think he says to us today? those of us who are in the midst of struggle and heartache and difficulty and we're bailing like mad and we're afraid. You know what Jesus says to you today? Peace. Be still. Rest in my love for you. Rest in the knowledge that I am powerful and I can speak and your problem will go away. Rest in the knowledge and this is so important, not only am I able, but I desire to provide for you in this moment because I love you. It's almost like Jesus is saying through this text, 
Just ask me. Guys, wake me up and ask me. And then watch what I do. I'm going to finish today with a prayer that I'm going to invite you into. Uh, a prayer that I'm going to guide you through. won't take very long. And if you're new here or new to the faith or not even in the faith, you don't need to participate. If, if you'd rather not, that's fine. Um, but I'm going to ask in prayer, and even right now, but in prayer as you sit in the presence of Christ, I want, to think, I want you to think of something you're afraid of right now, something that you fear, something that makes you feel threatened and in danger. And then I'm just going to guide you through some suggestions in prayer for you to engage as you wish. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we come um, having thought about this text of Scripture and having recognized again how real you can be to us if we will only believe. So Lord, we come, uh, each of us individually in a moment, to um, bring to you our fear that you might speak peace be still into our souls, that you might calm the waves and the wind in our lives. Hear us now, Lord Jesus, and then prove yourself to us. So as you stay in prayer, I'm going to ask you, just in the quietness of this place, will you before God, maybe you need to ask him, maybe that's what you want to do, but just think of something that you're afraid of right now, something that threatens your life, something that feels dangerous. What are you afraid of? you've come to a sense of what that is, what God might be actually wanting to deal with in your life. Number two, I want you to, in quotes, I want you to wake Jesus up. Not out of fear, but out of faith. And I want you to ask him to act on your behalf to solve your problem. Give your problem to him. That thing which seems to overwhelm that you can't handle. And now I want you to hear his words. Peace. Be still. I want you to take a moment in the quietness of this place and simply rest in his love for you. Rest in the knowledge of his power to save you. Rest in the knowledge that he desires to act on your behalf because he loves you. Peace.
be still. Lord Jesus, with the disciples, we ask that question. Who is this man? And we pray that you will show us who you are in your love and your power and in your desire to act for us. Prove to us, Lord Jesus, that you are in our boat and that we need not fear. This we ask in your name.